What's good, modern workers? Welcome back to the MoWo Show podcast. My name is Alex Henry, and in today's episode, Ryan and I sit down with a good friend of mine, writer, speaker, and owner of a local digital marketing agency, Allison Shane. My name is Allison Shane, and I'm the president and CEO of Starling Social. If you're new to the world of digital marketing and need to figure out how to get your brand seen by your customers, then this episode is for you. Before we get started, just a heads up that we are continuing our live stream series, Watch and Learn, into November. Join us Thursdays at 10 a.m. Central to watch Ryan and I develop our onboarding and training program in SharePoint using our customized Learning Pathways site. Of course, we'll be answering your Microsoft 365 questions along the way. Check out the link in the show notes to register as an attendee. That's all for now. Enjoy the show. Hello, what's good, everyone? Welcome back to the MoWo Show podcast. My name is Alex Henry, joined, of course, as always, by my co-host, Ryan Bialik. How are you doing today, Mr. Ryan? I'm quite all right. Thank you for asking. No kidding. Uh, today on our show, we have a very special guest, as always. Today, we have Allison Shane, a good friend and um, president and CEO of her own business, Starling Social. How are you doing today, Allison? Pretty good. Pretty good. Happy to be here. Uh, we're really happy to have you. Um, we wanted to get you on to the show because you've been a solo entrepreneur for five years now, six years now? Six years, yeah. Six years. Wild, eh? I know. <laughs> so before we get into what Starling Social does, why don't you tell us a little bit about um, your experience and how you got to uh, launching your own social media company? Sure. So um, I never actually expected to be a business owner. I um, really was not comfortable with the idea of running my own company. I kind of fell into business ownership. Um, I don't have a good degree in marketing or in business admin or anything like that. I'm actually a writer. I have a degree in rhetoric, writing, and communication, so I've studied persuasive language, things like that. Um, I've also been publishing content online for almost 20 years now, so more than half my life. So uh, I'm not sure if you guys know what a GeoCities is. Oh, classic. Yeah. Only only if you paired it up with a .tk domain name at some point in your life. That Remember those Definitely free? did that, yeah. yeah? Oh, classic. Yeah. <laughs> that's, like, that's, that's like a deep cut. Um, yeah. <laughs> so... So suffice it to say, I've been doing this a really long time. And as a result of being active online for such a long time, people started to pay attention to just sort of the things I had to say. And as a result of just sort of knowing people over the years, I wound up with a couple of freelance copywriting contracts, which turned into freelance social media contracts, which turned into an agency that I now run. Um, so I've been doing that for six years now. Um, it's been amazing. I love being a business owner, as I'm sure we'll talk about. But yeah, that's a little bit of just sort of me and the history of the company. I didn't, I wasn't one of those young people who was like, I'm going to be an entrepreneur. I'm going to be a business owner. Like I was the opposite kind of person from that. And it's funny now being a business owner, because I don't think I could go back to an office or being in a more traditional type of role after this kind of experience. And I'm sure we'll talk about that, but yeah, definitely never something I thought I would do. And, uh, Something that I sort of like, I, like I said, been very fortunate to sort of just fall into through luck and happenstance, really. And in terms of like business opportunities, like social media was not high up on like the things of like the types of careers that we were told we could have as a kid or even teenagers. It's like the video game of like when I was a kid, it was always you're never gonna make a career out of playing video games, and now it's like, hey, yeah, you can do that. You can do social media. You can do 
all these really cool things that our parents just naysayed like you wouldn't believe back in the day. You can make a career out of just watching other people do things on the internet and commenting on it. Like, <laughs> the wild times we live in. Yeah, I remember when I was younger saying to my parents, like, I want to be a writer. And my parents literally saying to me, okay, so are you going to be a journalist or are you going to be Stephen King? Like, that's it. That's all. There's no in between. <laughs> yeah. And, and to your point, like, there's so much opportunity for creative out of the box roles and job opportunities these days. It's actually a really exciting time to be in just the job market in general, I think. Yeah. A lot of just really weird niche jobs and ones especially that you can just pick up and start doing from home which is something that Sterling Social really specializes in. So, ooh, segue. Uh, let's talk about just how um, you kind of run. So, so Sterling Social has always been 100% a, a remote business. Um, you've never bothered getting an office. You've just kind of like found, you found the nearest couch, the nearest Tom Bargain, and you hunkered down and got to work. So the business, your business has grown uh, quite a bit over the years. So how, how do you, how have you approached that? What's, how has that gone? Because ultimately a lot of companies have really had to learn how to be remote, but you, you had that advantage right out of the gate. So for context, um, I'm not a great employee. I really struggle with the idea of being a butt in a seat for eight hours um, just to be there. I were, I've, I've always efficiency efficiently I like to find efficiencies in what I do and I remember the job that I had before I started working for myself full-time I had to be at that desk from 9 a.m to 5 a.m I had to take break like I had to ask to take breaks um I couldn't leave my desk unless the other person in the office was at her it was at her desk it was just it was just not the right environment for me and so I started freelancing and working from home and I kind of thought you know, maybe I will get an office, maybe as I grow, like there's a lot of co-working opportunities and things like that. And I do not in any way mean to like slam co-working spaces or anything. I think they're great and really good opportunities to connect with other like-minded entrepreneurs and business folks. However, I love being completely in control of my own time. Um, the autonomy that I have as a business owner working from home means I can get up, I can work as hard and as fast as I want, and I can be in charge of my time. Like, obviously I work a little bit like in evenings or weekends and things here and there, but being able to have that full autonomy allows me to focus on the exact tasks I want without having to worry about whether or not I'm meeting a, an hour-based deadline. And similarly, for the people who work for me, I always hated when my boss would come over and like hover over my shoulder, or again, that pressure to like, be doing something like kind of productive just to fill the time. I'm just not interested in micromanaging people. And when I started hiring for folks to help me balance my workload, I said to them, look, we work remotely. I work remotely. Um, I don't want to have to follow up with you all the time. I'm not in charge of your time. You're a grown person. And frankly, social media kind of requires you to be on at all hours of the day. Like we were technically always available to our clients. And I think that at least for my agency, it didn't really make sense for me to try and impose those really strict limits, especially because we're not in the same physical space. And the longer that I've been doing this and the more I've gotten comfortable managing my team remotely, and more importantly, I've seen how that sense of autonomy and trust and, and kind of to bring it back to what I was saying initially, that um, the ability to control when you work and to block off your time and all that is really important to the people who work for me. And I get a lot of positive feedback from my team about that specifically. So it's something that, again, like I feel like a lot of my answers are like, I kind of just tripped into it. I kind of just did the thing that came naturally to me as a person. And 
I've just been really fortunate that it seems to continue to work itself out, frankly. Um, I'm also ultra organized and very process based, which I think really helps as well. Um, and I'm sure we'll talk about that in terms of tools and stuff in a little bit. But yeah, uh, I'm an A type personality and I just never really fit in as an office. So I don't plan on going back to one anytime soon. I mean, working from home earlier this year made me just realize how much I really liked working from home. So I can't blame you. Being able yeah. just to like get out of bed, get your, get my coffee, and then park in front of my computer and just start my day really helps. The issue I have always had is being able to know when to stop. So it's usually about, you know, five o'clock is the end of my day, but I'm in the middle, I'm in the zone, and it's usually, and then the next thing I know, it's 5.30 and maybe six o'clock, and uh, my partner's coming up at the door, and is like, hey, you gotta, you know, get off your computer and stop working for the day. Uh, I'm like, how did that happen? Where did my time go? Oh, I was going to say that's, that the overwork is definitely something that is an unexpected, I, I think something that a lot of people probably didn't expect to run into and something that is very easy to, um, what's what I'm looking for? It's easy to lose yourself in your work when you're in a comfortable space and you're not kind of looking forward to that like end of day bell. Like, you know, at the, um, you know, like at the start of The Simpsons where Homer's like working and it's the bell and everybody like runs out of the, the, the factory, like that's people leaving offices, right? And I think that when you're yeah. engaged in what you're doing and it's, if that happens to be at the end of the day, so be it. It's just, it's easier to slip into it. And yeah, for folks who have a more traditional sort of nine to five structure that definitely, you know, as you're learning can kind of cause a little bit of friction. But I mean, on the other side, and I mean, this does apply, you know, um, differently across different businesses and different business models. But at least for me personally, if I'm working till six or seven o'clock, then I'm probably going to take an extra hour off the end of my day the following day, or I'll find some way to make up that time in my own personal life. And that's something that I really had to, had to learn and teach myself to do, because I mean, you were my roommate for a couple of years. You lived with John and I, you know, that like my, my husband, um, you know, we're both workaholics and I'll just default into work. Cause I just really like what I do. So yeah, like learning to set those boundaries from home is really important and is definitely a challenge for sure. Do you ever have to have those conversations with your staff about overworking or do you just kind of let them do their thing with however much time and hours they need? Well, I try and we don't track our hours one-to-one. -one. We have sort of an estimate based on how many hours each week we expect to be working on a specific client project. And they check in with me to tell me like, Hey, this client's doing this thing. I'm spending a little more time here or you know, I did a, spent a little less time on this thing this week, so I'm going to spend a little more time on this thing next week. And for me, my view is I don't care when you do your work, as long as it gets done and as long as you're available to the client during regular work hours, because that's generally when they need us, and that if there's an emergency that you're available for that. Other than that, like, I, I don't care. <laughs> I just, I don't. And I, I try and manage the way that I would want to be managed. And the way that I want to be managed is almost not at all. <laughs> yeah leave me alone leave the keys and just get out of the way right that's the modern day give and take right i think that's that's where all of this technology that we've been talking about for the last little while and, and has come to the forefront because of covid um we're empowering those experiences physically because we have the tech to work from anywhere because we can uh answer customer calls or questions or emails we can still deal with the customers from everywhere and it's not not everybody's going to be able to have that luxury, uh, but on the business owner or the team manager or the team lead side of it, again, the give and take, um, you know, let, let your folks start 20 minutes early and leave 20, you know, 
20 minutes early or give them an hour off in the middle of the day and they'll make it up somewhere else. And chances are that hour that they work at nine o'clock at night will be so productive because they're not going to have all of the other pressures of daytime, you know, other vendors, customers, partners, emailing in other things, dinging and notifications and, you know, new general. Yeah. Yeah. No, exactly. I'll give you an example. Actually, one of my account managers has three children and she gets most of her work done between 9 p.m. and 1 a.m. So I often wake up to like six different things from her, which whatever, that's fine. Um, And I know that she's sleeping in and I know that, you know, she's on it when our clients need her during the day, but she has a lot of other things, especially because of the pandemic, right? Like her schedule wasn't quite that wild pre-COVID, but these days she's doing her work in the middle of the night. And like Ryan, to your point, she's focused on it, Mm -hmm. you know, especially this is creative work, um, social media, creating content, developing campaigns, writing all that stuff, getting into a brand voice and then having to switch, you know, over and over and over again is really hard and can dramatically harm the quality of the work we're doing. So kind of like what I said earlier, like, I don't care if you're doing it at 9 p.m. Because to your point, that's when you're able to focus on it. And that's when you're going to do your best work. And probably I think a good thing that's come out of the pandemic and the shift towards remote or more flex work in a lot of cases is it is forcing that that trust. Like it's it's forcing business owners and managers and folks to trust their team more. Um, because now you have to. It's, Thank it's God not really it's, up to the day. It's so long overdue, right? Mm-hmm. I completely agree, yeah. And I think that's still a, a part of learning that managers have to really get over because I think a lot of them, what I've noticed is they're trying to hold on to the old way of doing things. Hey, I want to see you at 9 a.m. for a virtual stand-up meeting. Everyone's cameras have to be on and everyone's going to tell us what you're doing. And I would expect after a number of months of doing that, you kind of start seeing that it's not really an effective way of managing your staff, at least from what I've noticed and what I've heard on from other people and business owners. Um, you can try and replicate the office lifestyle, but ultimately it's not there. So you have to find another way of working with your people and defining a new sense of culture in your organization. Because ultimately, like, I think... We're just going to be staying like half remote. It's going to be a hybrid of in-office and remote workers moving forward. So how do we kind of jump over that threshold and kind of say, okay, how do we include people remotely? How do we include people in the office and make sure that everyone's always on the same page? But that's, it's a trust issue. It's a workplace culture issue. And ultimately it just, it's something that's going to need more time. I completely agree. Yeah, I think that's a really astute observation. It's funny how the last, you know, six, seven months have torn down so many and my sociology professor would just love me saying this, roles and norms. How many of those we've busted in the last six months? So when we used to get an email from a colleague or, you know, because we all put our work email on our phone, this is a very, very natural thing. We have the tools, might as well, you know, use them. We get an email from a colleague at 9.30 or 10 o'clock at night and we're like, holy smokes, this must be an emergency because they're emailing me this late at night. And now it's, I've had to tell some of my colleagues, when you get an email from me at nine or 10 at night, do not respond to it. It's just me getting some stuff out of the day for the next, you know, just prepping, getting ahead, using a little bit of that flex time. Okay, I, I, I took an extra 10 minutes to walk my daughter to school. So I'm going to put those 10 minutes in after supper time when it's, you know, night outside. Um, don't respond to those kinds. So it's kind of funny how we've had to again readjust some of our norms like if you get something from me 
especially when it's dark outside, don't worry about replying back right away. It can, it can wait till tomorrow. So I've uncovered a new super, you know, superhero a talent, which is delay send on email. So I'll stay up late and I'll write all of those emails, but I'll schedule them to, to land in people's inboxes at a more humane hour for the, for the receiver. If only that would come to our chat, right? Yeah. <laughs> As I'm really guilty of, uh, about seeing an email or a message and just wanting to reply right away because I've read it, it's fresh in my mind, and I, I'm, it's ready to go. Because if I don't reply to it, I, it's going to bug me for the rest of my evening. So one, it's partly my fault for looking at the damn message when I open it on my phone after hours. But two, it's also a bit of a discipline thing. Where it's like, you know what? It's okay. I can put this down. They don't need a reply right away. Mm -hmm. That's hard. We've heard from other team leads and, and other managers where they're almost encouraging that kind of culture because people can't meet around the water cooler anymore in, in real life, in the physical space. So they are opening up other channels in, in different apps to have sort of that, oh, the football game's on right now. Do you guys want to watch it together and chat about it or this show is on or we're playing this game. So you still have that camaraderie as, as if you would in a real workplace. Oh, I had a new recipe, you know, food service delivery got, got done today. This is what I made. I, I still think there's a place for that. And that can probably happen after hours too. And to your point, Alex, whether you decide to pick it up and play along or, or just save it for the next day is, uh, is really in the user's hands. No kidding. So Alison, I want to take this back to Starling for a moment. Um, since things shifted with the pandemic and lockdowns, have you found that your business has had to adjust how it operates with your client relationships? Have they changed their habits, forcing your business to change yours? Or do you find everything's kind of status quo day to day, month to month? Well, I mean, like we've been very fortunate being a fully remote team already meant that we didn't have to do a lot of rejigging or anything like that. There was no drama around what was going to happen with the office. How were we meeting with clients? Things like that. Um, the only difference I would say is there are definitely a couple of clients who still really wanted to meet in person and have been because different clients come to us at different levels of technological understanding. A lot of our clients, bless their hearts, um, describe themselves as Luddites. Like they on Facebook, don't really understand email, stuff like that. So getting onto Zoom is a challenge for them. But we all need to be safe. And for those clients who have a little bit, you know, have put up a little bit of resistance, uh, you know, for better or for worse, the pandemic going on as long as it has has sort of transitioned everybody to a fully digital model. There's a little bit of hand holding and like gnashing of teeth at the start. Um, but we've all kind of sunk into into a groove together. But other than that, honestly, like it hasn't been that different. We did see there was a scare for us right at the start of the pandemic. We lost a significant portion of our business. Um, several clients were just like, we don't know what's going to happen. We got to cancel these contracts. And so Luckily for luckily for the team and I, um, we've actually made back all of that business. All of our clients have come back to us and we've made some business on top of that, which like, whew, no very scary for a while there. But I mean, we're very lucky because obviously everything we do is online. And this also happens to be a time where businesses are really considering their digital presence and reinvesting in it or rather just investing in it in a way that they haven't before. And for some of our clients, that also means investing in more things like paid advertising in a more robust way or adding in different pieces of their social strategy that maybe they hadn't been considering before, like working in an email nurture stream or drip campaigns for e-commerce like websites and things like that. So a little bit of a strategy shift, but overall, like I said, things have been pretty consistent with the exception of that like very scary moment at the start. 
Because <laughs> like the need for the business never really goes away. Because I, f- I feel like I-, I would imagine like maybe halfway through that pandemic, everyone's like, oh, I don't know how to do my social media anymore. Please come help. That's I mean, I look at my own. Yeah, I look at my own social media sometimes. I'm like, I don't, I, I, I don't know. I just kind of like throw my phone across the room and give up for the afternoon. Sometimes, it's it's a really fickle thing. I find on Starling Social, we've kind of looked. You, you kind of mentioned that you know you've been uh, remote 100 percent of the time, and it hasn't really been that much of an issue. Uh, what would you say to someone that has uh, is trying to start up their own social media company or agency? Because um, it seems like it's something that's coming up. I've seen more of them out there these days, and I think it's something that's starting to gain some traction. So, if you were the next Allison Shane, what would you kind of what would you tell them? Get out, my <laughs> gig. No, no. Actually, um, I do a fair amount of mentorship, and I do a lot of speaking in the community and stuff about this topic specifically. Um, my view is that there's enough business to go around, and a rising tide floats all boats. Um, I am very particular about what I do. I take what I do very seriously. Um, and based on my clients and team's feedback, I'm like probably one of the most detail oriented people I know about my industry. And I think in large part, that's because I'm self-taught. Like I said, I don't have a marketing degree. I have a writing degree. So everything that I've learned, I've had to teach myself and learn by doing. Um, so when I speak to, to folks who are considering starting their own agency or young people in say like the Crecom program at Red River and stuff like that, The thing that I say to them is decide what your niche is going to be, do it well, like decide that that is the thing that you are going to be the best at and learn as much as you can. Don't just assume that like, cause you really like Instagram, that you're going to be a great Instagram marketer. Success on every single platform requires you to have a deep understanding, not just of the platform itself, posting strategies, whether or not they use hashtags, best times to post different audience types, things like that. But also how a brand should sound across different types of social media platforms. So for example, um, Starling Social has a much more casual, like if you look at our Instagram, you can tell like I write most of that content and you can tell it's me. Like it's got, it's a little sassier. It says stuff like girl, like it's got a little like finger gunniness to it. And that's because Instagram is a fun platform where you can be a little more chill and expressive. Conversely, our LinkedIn profile on our company page has a lot of the same content, but doesn't, and I think still shows our personality through emojis. And like, I'll say things like gonna instead of going to, and that, that rhetorical difference is on purpose because it's a little more conversational and friendly, but on LinkedIn, we engage in that a lot less because it's a B2B platform. And there's the expectation that you're a little more just put together say than on Instagram. So understanding those nuances, doing the work upfront and developing processes because really and truly any, I think any business, but especially an agency is only as good as the processes that it has in place. And I'm just going to throw a little bit of shade here. Um, We have some clients who have come to us from some of the more established, like full stack agencies, like older agencies in the city. And the thing that I've learned is that a lot of those companies grew into this realm just sort of because they needed to right? their clients needed to be on Facebook or they wanted to be on Twitter, et cetera. And they didn't actually develop the foundational understanding that I was talking about. And so it's good for me because when our clients come to us, we're able to give them that depth of understanding, but that really does seem to be the thing that's lacking in this industry, whether that's at the, you know, full stack um, giant agency level or the sort of more startup level. Um, yeah. I feel like that's a very long answer, but process, 
deep understanding and not trying to be something you're not. Don't try, like we don't do web development. I'm not a web developer. If the need comes, we might work with somebody. We have partners who we outsource to, things like that. But Starling Social is not going to become a web development agency because I'm not a web developer and I can't give that level of expertise um, that my clients would expect from working with us. So just those kinds of things, I think. You said something really important there. I should cancel my Instagram startup business because I probably don't know what I'm doing. Okay, good to know. Um, but no, you made, a, you made a good point. And this is an issue I've had when I look at our modern workplace, uh, social media presence and our clear concepts, uh, social media presence and how deep the SEO rabbit hole goes. There's so much to learn. So, and sometimes I just don't know where to start. So that's when I call you crying and go, help me. Um, cause ultimately it's, it's a big thing. It's a big pie to take out. There's a lot of room for failure, a lot of room to make mistakes, but a lot of room to grow. And it's actually a really cool thing to kind of get the handle of once you've kind of got into it. And maybe that's just me putting on my like computer hat and my, like, I like tech, I like learning about tech. So something like social media um, uh, management is a really cool thing to try out, but it takes a lot of time and it takes a lot of dedication to really get that mastered. You can't just jump in and say, well, I'm now a social media manager. I can do whatever I want because I learned how to use, I watched a couple of videos on Hootsuite. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the challenges too, and I mean, I'm speaking from like a business owner employer perspective, but from an employee perspective or somebody who wants to just get into social media and comms, the biggest issue that I see, and I, like I said, I speak at schools, I'm, I'm very involved in a lot of mentorship around the city. And the thing that I don't see being taught in school that I don't see being discussed as much is managing your time, understanding deliverables, being able to break down, let's say like you have an advertising campaign, right? Well, what are the individual steps along that campaign? Not just when the campaign's running, but prior to campaign start. Do you list all the images you need? Do you know the run dates? Do you know your audience? Do you have all of these pieces together before like, you even start planning the actual delivery of your campaign? Just as an example, right? But suffice it to say, like, there's a lack of preparedness for, I wouldn't say project management necessarily, but I think there's this assumption still that when you go into a workplace, your boss is just going to tell you what to do all the time and you're just going to follow the schedule that they're giving to you. So, you know, you're, you know, you think about a traditional office and they go here, I need this report by Tuesday, you know, or like that guy from office space is like, yeah, can you get me the report? Like that's not what the modern workplace is like. You have to be, especially in my industry, very self-driven. You have to be able to um, manage multiple things at once. And understanding how to develop your own processes and modify existing processes to optimize for efficiencies is a skill that I don't really see being taught a lot and something that I through the work that I do with young folks and people coming up in my industry try to really like focus on because in my opinion that's the thing that helps you be successful as a creative person like the way that I kind of look at it is and I like I said I think this applies to both business owners and employees alike if you don't know, if you don't have a strong foundation for what you're doing, so sort of like a baseline, then you don't have the mental, you, you don't have the mental capacity to fully engage and be creative in the way. If you don't really know what's going on, if you don't know when something's happening, if you're unclear on what goals and expectations or deliverable dates and things like that are. And again, like that's kind of the thing that I see kind of lacking and the thing that I would love to see more of 
uh, as people start to, you know, either whether that's an agency or going to work for a different agency or even just being a freelancer, you know, those things are really important. Totally. And something I've seen um, across the board is when I do training and someone asks me how to how to use Microsoft Teams or any other Microsoft app, I kind of I can always kind of say, well, I can give you like the the bells and whistles talk. And that might just go, kind of go over your head and you won't care because if I can't relate it to the work you do in your own processes, it means nothing. If you want me to train, you know, 100 of your staff, then I need to be able to speak in your language into a way that they can actually take away from. So I'll often have conversations with some of the managers, some of the business leads and kind of say, what do you actually want to know? Of, what do you want your end users to learn? What do you want them to be able to do? And when it comes, and that's a really big philosophy I took out of operational excellence. When I put that hat on, training and development, it's really important of really just understanding your business foundation. What are you actually trying to accomplish here? Because ultimately, if you don't understand that, you're going to keep throwing spaghetti at the wall and you're not really going to know what's actually sticking with your clients. It's really important. Totally. We we go down that road quite a lot in technology, and it's not not just on the software side, but um, you know, in the past, I've sold enterprise hardware and and all the goofy stuff that connects all the things that we we have as endpoints, and we talk about speeds and feeds, and we talk about business outcomes, and we talk about all these types of things, and that's great, but if you put all the stuff in place, in in our world, our our customers take up Office three sixty five or Microsoft three sixty five or Teams or um, whatever application du jour, whatever cloud service du jour, and then they put it in place and then they just expect their employees to pick up the tools and, and not so much know how to use them, but know what they can possibly use them for, what they can create. And so back to Alex's point, that's something that I know he spends a lot of time training on and, and sort of our thought leadership around creating a workplace culture of, hey, we've got all these fantastic tools you're not expected to do anything specific, but here they are. Go explore. Go be, you know, curious and see what you can create with the tools, and then build. You know, again, building that culture of finding ways to do things better. Um, an accidental efficiency is is an amazing thing because you can chances are do it again. You can find another way to replicate it in a business. Yeah, we we take a, a a lot of looks at how we how we can find little tricks of productivity to just make your everyday just a little bit easier, a little bit nicer. So I'll often just hammer people with questions like, "Hey, you know, what what are you doing today that just looks like it's a big waste of your time? Too many touch points, too many too many steps. What would you like to try and solve?" And usually people are like, "Oh, files or I get too many emails and I'm like, okay, let's work on that. What can we do about that specifically? And then I'll show them a couple of things, make them try it out. And then all of a sudden the lights start going off. They're like, I didn't know I could do that. Oh, I wish I had this a week ago or a year ago. And you kind of start going down that rabbit hole. It's really cool. Um, But having that conversation is so critically important because chances are when they show up to my door, asking for some information and Allison, I'm sure they do the same thing for you. They're, they just have no idea exactly what they're really asking until they've had that initial conversation. Yep. One of the ways that I describe my job is like, it's funny. I was talking to one of my account managers the other day and she's like, what do you do all day? Like, what's your job? 
And I said, well, I put out a lot of fire. And uh, my, my biggest job is to take chaos and turn it into a process. So I spend a lot of time literally writing out documentation. I'll give you an example. So one of our clients, we're doing these creator features. This is for Flipside, actually. Um, we're going to be doing quarterly creator features where we interview someone who uses Flipside on a quarterly basis. Um, we're developing these SEO questions. It's a big whole project. And my job is to write out, it's, I believe right now, a four-page document um, with what the project is, why we're doing it, how the keywords we've chosen work, the logic behind the keywords that we're using, how to, like, literally, all right, like, how to, like, duplicate this template document so that we're not, we have a template that we're, sorry, we're keeping consistent as we copy them over multiple interviews, like, that's a lot of what I do. And it's not very glamorous. And I'm really fortunate that like, I'm just a big nerd. I like this stuff. Like I said, I like making order out of chaos, but the doing those foundational pieces, like literally I'll write something. I'm going to be sending out this email this afternoon and I'll send it to my account manager and she'll read it over and then she'll come back to me with questions. And then as she goes through it, we'll continue to iterate on that process. But what's great about that, and I'm sure you guys probably have a similar process like with what you do, is we have a written written history of everything that we've decided that we can all refer back to. And this isn't something that we keep internal. This is something that our clients can always access all the time as well. Transparency, as I'm sure you guys also know, is very important in the work that we do. Um, but so having that something that they can come back to on their own time. And like, I've literally had folks on my team email me and say, look, I was looking at the process for how to do this thing. And I was kind of thinking like, why don't we do it this way? Or, hey, I saw that Instagram has this new feature. Why don't we try doing this and adding it to our process? And so having something documented that's formal that, that can kind of become like second nature almost. Like eventually you do something and you don't really have to follow the steps and think about it. But giving somebody that written context that they can refer back to that isn't something that I am attached to as their boss, but it's just, just a reference tool. It's just the thing we're doing together gives them the autonomy that they want and the, sorry, my earphones are dying. I hope you can't hear that. Um, and the ability to look critically at what they're doing and kind of like what you were saying, Alex, like find creative ways to do new things or find efficiencies within that existing system. And like I said, having, having all of that developed in advance, I think has been a real power move for us as an organization because my, my team feel empowered to look it up on their own time and to not have to come to me all the time which is good because I don't want them to have to do that, you know? Right. But And you're hitting on two really cool concepts, at least we believe as, as part of the modern workplace is you're doing your, and I'm air quoting so people listening on the podcast won't be able to hear that, but um, you're doing your, your private collaboration in public. And I mean that within your organization, what something would be uh, a private piece of collaboration between maybe two people it's still happening between those two people, but the rest of your team, the greater bit of your team can see and contribute. And that's the other point is that you're giving a voice to everybody. You're enabling everybody to have a say and chime in and add their thoughts or, you know, give a, give a thumbs up, react, even if it's something quick like that. Very, very good way of getting the pulse of the whole org and, and the whole team, if you will. So um, I, I heard a good saying once where it's, it's like eavesdropping on purpose or eavesdropping with a purpose. Oh, yeah, uh, I've heard that one. Something and, like that. And I mean, 
we don't have those cube walls to, you know, kind of listen over anymore. We kind of got to do that in the virtual way now. And so it's, it's interesting to hear you say you work on the process documents, you share that out, everybody gives their feedback. All of that feedback is collected in a very transparent way. So anyone in your team that wants to stumble upon that and go take a look and deconstruct and reapply it to different projects, the, the more the merrier because the knowledge is all there. And that's exactly it. Having sort of a, like a knowledge bank. When we start, when we start working with a new client, we actually spend, it's a minimum of two to four weeks just onboarding them. So um, some agencies or freelancer folks will just start working with you right away. They'll just start posting on your behalf. And I don't believe in that. Um, again, being very process-based. So we have buyer personas. We did copywriting style guide that we develop. We have all of this like sort of foundational process documentation that we consult with the client. So um, the account manager, copywriter, myself will meet with the client to develop the preliminary pieces. Then we do an audit of all their social media. And then we combine all of our findings into, well, we, I say me, I write it. Um, we combine all of our findings into a master strategy document. And this thing is usually like 10 to 20 pages long, depending. And it's, it's like a compendium. And that's the point. So. If the client wants to know anything about what's going on, if they want to be able to reference back to something, if someone on my team wants to be able to reference back to something, we not only have all of the individual pieces that we've created in advance, but also sort of this larger compendium that has not just where they can find them, but again, that detailed explanation of why we've created them this way, what nuances might be unique to this client, for example, that we might want to know and keep in mind. And yeah, I really do think that doing the work upfront uh, saves a ton of time. I think there's an expression that I'm trying to think of, and I, I can't remember it now, but suffice it to say, doing all that legwork up front saves you time after the fact. And I think that that's one of the truest things that I've learned in business is just like do the work up front, you know? Oh, no, I had a question that I just totally forgot. Of course. We're struggling just, today, hey? Yeah, no kidding. It's you like think it's a it was, Thursday afternoon. I was about to say, you think it was Friday at four o'clock? It feels I feel like, like it's it. a Friday today. Yeah, <laughs> it feels it like a Friday. I need a warm I need a warm sweater and a cold beer. Yeah. Ooh. Got a couple of those. Not here. <laughs> um, I mean I do, but I try not to drink during the work day. <laughs> operative word is try. Sometimes I'll crack honestly, sometimes I'll crack a beer at like three in the afternoon. If it's like if it's the end of the day and I'm doing something that's like, I don't know, I'm making some promotional images in Canva or I'm doing something that's really not that mentally intensive, like, yeah, I'll crack a beer at the end of the day. Such is, such is the benefit of one, being the boss, and two, working from home where no one can see you drink. <laughs> now that's the modern workplace. Yeah, no kidding, eh? One of my account managers and I will, will message all the time and like, it's not that like, I wouldn't even say that it's a, a problem client per se, but we have this one client who's very like finicky about stuff and we'll be messaging each other at like 8 or 9 p.m. because obviously she's doing her stuff later in the evening and she'll be like hey have you had a glass of wine yet because I was about to have a glass of wine but now I'm dealing with this and have a glass of wine together <laughs> well and that's exactly so you know we'll workshop the problem out and we'll figure out what we're doing and then I'll send her a little cheers and she'll send me a little cheers or we'll like cheers like on a little video chat together and it's wonderful <laughs> I think one of the nice things about this sort of shift to remote work to kind of bring this back full circle to what we were talking about at the start of the start of the pod. There's a, it's like a veneer. This is the wrong motion. People in your podcast can see me. I might put my hand down instead of up. There's been a veneer that's been lifted on our personal lives. And I think like 
I've always been a very sort of, I would say, like, I wouldn't call myself a chill person, but I definitely would say that I uh, don't take myself too seriously in terms of being a boss. And I'm comfortable, like, I, how do I put this? I'm more like a workplace casual than a workplace formal kind of human being, is to kind of put it that way. And I like, I like that that seems to be, that seems to be becoming more commonplace, not within my organization, but just in, in aggregate, people seem to be a lot more chill about everyday lives or like, you know, a kid running in or like taking a Zoom meeting in your shorts, you know, there's like, we're getting peeks into people's lives that are creating these opportunities for deeper connections uh, within organizations. And I think that's actually like a, a boon, you know, if you, if you want to call it that. Yeah, I agree. It's kind of, it's getting nicer when you can kind of see people in their own element, they're comfortable. You know, it's like you, I know you can only see the top of people, but it's like if you're wearing shorts underneath or you're still in your bathrobe, there's no judgment here. You're in your own home. You should be able to relax. I actually, uh, I read an interview. I want to say it was the CEO of Zoom. I might be, I might be misspeaking it, but it was like a high level CEO at one of those like big tech companies. And he, I'm so sure it was Zoom. He was on Zoom meetings and he had back to back, like every day they were doing sort of like the stand up that you guys were talking about. And he wore the same shirt to every single meeting for like a month and nobody noticed. (laughs) And (laughs) it was like this weird, like sociological experiment. And I find that so funny because like I would notice because I'm a weird person that way. But it's it's so funny how it's bringing out these weird like idiosyncrasies in other people and how like, I don't know, I just find these like weird little like Zoom stories or weird like this is how our company's connecting. This is the weird stuff we're doing um, are emerging like we had a meeting with one of our clients where everybody had to have a Studio Ghibli background, which is not great for me. I had an old computer at the time and my Studio Ghibli background was like not working right. But like themed meetings, things like that. It's it's interesting to see, you know, like these, like I said, these sort of little stories that have started to emerge or started to, I guess we've been doing this for like nine months. They've been around a while. But in, in the days of AI and machine learning and bots and, and hyper-connectivity and tech intensity and whatever euphemism or or um you know head headline tag bait clickbaity title you want to give all of this stuff all of this tech at the end of the day we're still human and we got to have those connections so if it's all sharing a lunch at the same time or if it's putting the same background in or it's you know is our boss really wearing the same shirt for four weeks in a row you know Right? I thought that was so funny. I was like, that's amazing. But we need that. We 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 desperately need that in a day where in the days of, of being so you know, sort of bound to the technology and, and everything else that's going on. Yeah, hundred percent. You can't take the you can't take the corporate boardroom home. No matter how hard you try, you just can't do it. You won't fit that giant table in the door, by the way, but like that culture where everyone's just kind of like sitting together they're properly dressed they're really kind of very formal it doesn't replicate well at home because ultimately at some point someone's going to bring out that glass of wine on camera when they're not thinking about it and it's just gonna the the illusion will shatter have you guys ever uh wound up doing like have you ever had zoom face happen to you where you're on a zoom call maybe you're on with like a couple other people and you're not really listening and i understand this is an audio podcast so forgive our listeners but i'm making like the blankest face possible. Like, 
basically, like, basically you have like resting bitch face on your Zoom call, like Zoom face. And I keep hearing about this. And I was on a Zoom call, like, I think two days ago. And I looked over in the corner and I realized I was like frowning at everybody. Um, and you don't do that in, in face-to-face interactions. Like it's, it's, I love technology. I appreciate that during this pandemic, it's allowing us to stay connected and to stay productive and to stay, you know, to, to maintain these, these personal professional relationships that are so important, not just from a business perspective, but just for our own like mental, mental health. But by the same token, I miss getting together and brainstorming with clients. Like I miss going and like, I mean, working from home, we took a lot of, we took a lot of lunch meetings. We would often take our clients out for lunch or we would go for coffees and things like that. And Kind of to your point, Alex, like there's 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 no substitute for sitting around a table, throwing out some ideas and just being creative together. I'm I'm thankful for it, but at the same time, like I'm looking forward to when we can just go back to regular life. Yeah, whatever that looks like. I've kind of I've I think I've like let go of the idea of going back to the old normal. It's whatever it is. I just want to be able to go back and have like our coffee meetings downtown. Like Ryan and I would go and like we'd prepare for a week's worth of content and like do it over coffee at like Portage in Maine. And it would just be a nice way to get out of the office, get out of our heads and just focus on the thing we wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And I found those to be really productive and tasty at times. Cause you know, we'd end up in the exchange sometimes get some lunch and yeah, they're really helpful and you can't replicate that even if you do it online. So here's my peanut butter sandwich again. And, and to your point, like, Working remotely, one of the things that um, I've really, I really had come to rely on was going downtown. Like, how many times did I see you at 201 Portage? Like, a couple times a week? Like, yeah. just being able to go and, and work somewhere different. I mean, to some degree, this might persist for a lot of folks once a pandemic has ended, if we continue to sort of do this, like, flex shift kind of work. Um, but being physically able to go for a walk or go have a coffee or take yourself out of the space that you're working in is so good at just sort of doing a bit of a mental reset. And kind of to your point, like going and taking a walk and like throwing some ideas around is something that I deeply miss. And despite like loving remote work as much as I do, really cannot wait to get back to. Yeah. Um, Working at home is great. And sometimes I'll just go for a walk in the neighborhood to just get out of my head, get out of the space. And that's somewhat effective. But if you can't do it with your colleagues, it's not quite the same. Allison, I've got one more question for you before we wrap up. And for the small business owner that maybe can't afford their own marketing agency or they're just getting started, but they do know they need a social media platform, they need a presence. What is your advice to them? How do they get started? Ooh, that's a big one. Okay. If you are a business owner and you want to get started on your social media, there are so many free resources available to you. Um, My advice is to look into, start off by looking at which, think about your audience. Who are your customers? Try Try and determine things like their average age, what they like, um, if you can, how they consume their media, and use those details in your research to figure out which social platforms you should be active on. Just as a quick aside, I have had so many clients message me and say like, hey, should we be on TikTok? The answer is obviously yes, right? No, no, no. I am so glad that Microsoft did not buy TikTok because I was really regretting having to talk about TikTok and licensing and that whole business. <laughs> well, and here's the I'm thing. I'm kidding, though. I'm kidding. Like, 
Uh, I'm kind of not. I'm, I don't like TikTok. I have many thoughts on ephemeral content. But aside from that, um, the reason that most companies don't need to be on TikTok is unless you're marketing to like an 18 to 22 year old audience, you don't need to be on that platform, right? But understanding your audience, so who, who your customers are and where they hang out can really help, like it's still going to be overwhelming, but can really help streamline your efforts and help you understand like, okay, maybe I run a B2B company. Uh, I need to be really active on LinkedIn and maybe Facebook or Twitter or something like that. I generally, I generally suggest having at least two social profiles just so you can kind of cover your bases a little bit. Obviously it doesn't apply to everybody, but determine who your customers are, determine where you need to be online in terms of social platforms, develop an email marketing list. Email marketing is one of the most effective things that any business can do to keep in touch with their customers and uh, nurture any leads that they may have because email cuts through social media. You get right into somebody's inbox. Uh, I like to think of email as like the spare key to someone's house. Um, if you think about your inbox, the only way somebody can send you an email is if you either allow them to by giving them your email address or you've emailed them first, kind of like a friend, right? Like nobody's coming into your house unless, like Alex isn't coming over, well, you're, you're a bad example, we've been friends for years, but most folks aren't coming over to my house unless I've invited them in or they're coming in with me, right? And an email is kind of the same way. So if you can get somebody to agree to allow you into their inbox, you don't need to worry about whether your ads are reaching them or whether they're following you on Instagram or Facebook or whatever, you're in their inbox, right? You're already there. It, your conversion rate goes up significantly. I'm getting a little too technical and excited. I really like email marketing, but okay. So audience, social networks, email marketing list, and then just learning as much as you can about the platforms you want to target. So again, when are the best times to post? What are the best content types? Um, what kind of strategies can you implement? I have a couple of like website suggestions uh, if people are listening, uh, HubSpot. H-U-B-S-P-O-T is one of the best and most comprehensive resources on the internet. Um, that is the best place to start, in my, in my opinion. Um, another really good resource is a website called Social Media Examiner. Not sure if you guys are familiar with that one. It has like the cheesiest looking little animations and like graphics. It kind of looks like a website for kids a little bit, but it is very comprehensive information that's easy to understand. And kind of to wrap this all up, if I can do it, anybody can do it. Like I'm self-taught, I run an agency based on skills that I taught myself. So it really just comes down to not, to, manage, to managing how overwhelmed you feel, cause you're never not gonna feel overwhelmed, but to breaking it down into the steps that I talked about and taking each one at a time. Absolutely, I've, I've definitely been burned by the Let's do all the social media across the board at once and then immediately just like looking at this garbage fire I've started and just like exiting out as quickly as possible. Yeah. yeah. Well, there's there's that anxiety as a, as a business owner or a small business market. I got to be everywhere. I got to be everywhere. I got to I got to be out there. It's more eyeballs, more exposure. I got to reach everybody. But maybe you don't. Maybe you just got to reach the right people. You, you can't. You you don't want to be everything to everyone, right? right. Like I remember we, we had a client come on, this is going back a couple of years. And I said to the, there's a restaurant chain and I said to her, okay, well, who are, who are your, who are your target, target clients? Um, and she's like, well, everybody. People with stomachs. And I was like, no, <laughs> like 
yes, lots of different demographics of people come to the restaurant, but you can lump them into groups so we can understand and dig into more effectively. And just even just thinking about that a little more deeply can really make a huge, huge difference, especially if you're doing it yourself. Um, the other thing that I would point to is don't be afraid to show who you are. A lot of companies, especially if you're doing it yourself and especially if you're getting started for the first time, tend to be very gun shy about talking about company culture, talking about who they are. And that's the thing that people want. We're living in an age, especially during COVID, where consumers want brands to be relatable. They want they want to talk to real human beings. They want to feel like you're not just, you know, like a, you're not like Coca-Cola, right? Like you're not some big monolithic brand. You're a human being who started a company because you believe in something and your passion for what you do is the thing that's going to grow your social media following and the thing that you shouldn't be afraid to lean into. Well said, well said. Thank you. That's all we had for today. Um, just to wrap up, uh, Allison, again, thank you again so much for joining. This has been a lot of fun. Hope you enjoyed it. Ryan, did you have anything, any closing comments, pieces of wisdom? Uh, do you just want to get a, a sound bite from Allison where folks can find her? Sure. Um, you can find me online. Um, all of my social handles are the same. It's my name, A-L-Y-S-O-N-S-H-A-N-E. And my company is Starling, spelled like the bird, S-T-A-R-L-I-N-G, social. Our website is starling.social, no.com. Right on. <laughs> Love that vanity URL. You yeah, they're really good. You've done a lot, hey? You've practiced. I still stumble on my own phone number. <laughs> I've had it for like 12, 20 years. I had to, I stumbled over spelling my own name for the bank like two days ago and felt very smart. <laughs> During uh, our interview with John this morning, I introduced myself as Ryan. So there's a, there's a thing. <laughs> <laughs> so we're all yep. doing it. We're all, we're all great today. This is like yep, a today's... day for everybody. Yeah, exactly. It was an incredibly humbling moment for me though, as Alex turns on. Hey everybody, I'm Ryan from the Momo Show, and I'm like, hey, hey, hey. stealing your thunder. <laughs> I love it. I'm looking forward to hearing that interview. That should be fun. Well, that's it for this episode of the Momo Show podcast. Thank you again for joining us. Thank you again, Allison, for being on the show. If you enjoyed what you heard, please be sure to follow and rate us on your favorite podcasting app. My name is Alex Henry. On behalf of Ryan, myself, and the amazing staff at Clear Concepts that helps make this show possible, take care. Hey everyone, Ryan Biala, co-host of the Moho Show podcast here. Be sure to check out our new live stream series, Watch and Learn. If you're curious about how to leverage Microsoft 365 in your organization beyond email and files, then join us Thursdays at 10 a.m. Central. For the month of November, we're actually developing our internal onboarding and training program in SharePoint using our customized Learning Pathways site. Watch us fumble our way through to a modern future while answering your Microsoft 365 questions along the way. To register as an attendee, look for the link in the show notes or by going to clearconcepts.ca.